0: Throughout the years, television and radio has changed considerably. And right here in Baltimore alone, a lot has changed. But throughout the years, we've had a lot of, I guess you could say, people that have made their mark right here in this area. Oprah Winfrey is for one. Uh, Jim McKay uh, is another one. Gary Moore. A lot of people that have come through here. Gene Rayburn. Uh, Of course, John Miller. And there's a lot of radio personalities that people remember. Johnny Walker, of course. Uh, You know, Steve Rouse, I think, is one that, you know, for a lot of people are going to remember. The Rock and Roll Doctor, you know, Steve Cochran is one that I always remember very well. And, of course, you had Lopez, Kirk, Mark, and Lopez on 98 Rock. Sarah Flesher is another one. But there's a book out now called Baltimore Radio and Television, Images of America. And we're going to have a link for it. You can get it on Amazon, but there will be a link right there where you can get it. And it's interesting to look at this, to look at all the different images, even from the first radio station, which I believe it was in 1922, which was more or less set up in a bedroom. And I think that lasted for like two years. You know, But also, WMAR-TV, Channel 2. And here we found out that it was basically... Uh, Start off, there was no studios, you know, uh, no um, personnel with television experience at all. Instead, it was from it was recorded from various locations, and look how much that has changed. So, on this episode of Harford County Living, Lyle and I sat down with Gary Hilton. He is the one to put this book together, but the thing with Gary, he's also a radio personality. He is on WHFC ninety one point one FN, the College Station. And he actually won the Harford County Living Community Choice Awards for the favorite local radio personality. and WHFC, the station for the past three years has won favorite local radio station. So two things I'm going to ask. Number one, that you buy this book. And number two, I'll also have a link for WHFC. since it is a college radio station, they rely on, you know us, the people, and businesses for donations to keep them up and running. So there will also be a link to the radio station so you can make donations there. So sit back and enjoy. And if you get a chance, especially if you're from Baltimore, know anything about Baltimore radio and television, get this book. I'm reading it now and looking at the pictures. And, of course, I love the cover because it's got Professor Cool on it. And if you don't know who Professor Cool is or was, he was played by Stu Kerr. It was a uh, local television show. He was basically like a school teacher, but I mean, it was awesome. And I remember seeing him at the movie theaters where they had a stage set up, and he came on to do this show. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: This is the Hartford County Living Show. Voted as Harford County's favorite local podcast, introducing you to local businesses, organizations, artists, musicians, and more. Harford County Living, there's no place like it. Here's your host, Rich Bennett. I'd
0: like to welcome everybody to Harford County Living. Lyle and myself are sitting here today with a gentleman I've been trying to get on for a while, but he insisted I never invited him, that I always ignored him, which I didn't. He um, has actually in 2018 was voted by the by you guys, the public as Harford County's favorite local radio personality and the station he works at which and also what general manager mm-hmm. of, has been the county's favorite local radio station for the past three years running and we are joined today by Gary Helton from WHFC, the college station. So thanks for finally coming on, Gary. Well, I got tired of being ignored, so I just decided to crash your already. door. Yes. Um, let's talk about the radio station for a bit. Because sure. you've been there for a while. Almost 20 years. And, um, and you and I talked about this in the past. Explain college radio to people, because I don't think a lot of people understand the difference between, say, college radio and regular radio. Well... College radio is uh,
2: non-commercial in our case, and most college stations are non-commercial stations, which means that we can't sell advertising to make money. We have to uh, to get our operating money from the, the institution or from businesses that underwrite us, which is sort of like advertising, or uh, directly from listeners who, uh, who make donations. And um, as opposed to, to commercial stations where they'll put 12 or 15 minutes worth of commercials in every hour and make a ton of money uh, we are uh, a throwback in in a lot of respects uh, to the days of creativity on radio and we're also a, uh, a lab we're a lab because the broadcasters of tomorrow are getting their training uh, on our station we're the only Baltimore area college-owned station that uses students the uh, station at Towson doesn't really Yep. Yeah. The station at Morgan doesn't. They they may have interns, but they're uh, administrative type uh, functions, um, it, and and it's it's not a a, a really decent. Well, the the industry has changed a lot too. Yes. There aren't there aren't nearly as many jobs as there were when I started back in Lincoln's first administration, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, so, so today, there are fewer and fewer jobs, but there are you know, colleges are still cranking out mass com majors right, so there's more competition for fewer jobs so a, a station like ours is a great place to to get the exposure, the training, the perspective, and uh, a lot of kids will spend some time with us and say hey you know i'd I'd like to do this instead of that, but you've still got that perspective you've you've had that that experience that uh, nobody's ever going to take away from you." Uh, No matter whether you stay in the business or not. And we've had kids who have, I call them kids, anybody under 50 is a kid. We've had kids who have gone on to, well, we were talking about um, one fellow just a little while ago. He didn't start with us, but he spent some time with us and he owns his own company now and is running a station in the area. And we had another kid who uh, spent some time with us, and he's now doing television news in Norfolk, Virginia, on Channel 10. And another kid who uh, was with us a long time back, maybe about 15 years ago. He's uh, he's host a rather uh, producing producing a national radio show that's oh, wow. uh, the Sunday version of which is heard in something like 200 markets nationwide. And these are people that that came through our door, and we tried to give them a a, a good, real, working environment. And when I say real working environment, when uh, it, it's it, <laughs> our environment is a combination of of old and new stuff. You've been in the station, mm-hmm. and, you know. We've got some some uh, antiquated equipment, and we've got the state of the art stuff as well. And they they peacefully coexist, and that's really what the kids are going to find in the real world because. The technology changes yes, so yes, fast yes. that most stations can't keep up with it. I mean, from from a financial yeah. point of view, but the station's been around for about 35, 36 years. I've been with them for almost twenty now, and um, you know, we we basically we have a three pronged mission, Rich. It's to uh, to provide programming to the community that would otherwise not be on,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to to train. The broadcasters of the future, and to also promote the college's ac- academic and cultural offerings. So we, we treat each one of those one of those uh, things as equally as we possibly can. We we try not to make any one more important than one. the other, and uh, it keeps me busy, keeps me awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> Your own 24/7 call for 20 years. It would tend to, to to cause you to lose some sleep, but at least you didn't lose your hair. No, no, but I but I, I lost all the dark ones. Oh jeez! I still have a roof, but there's snow on it.
0: What, with the difference between underwriting and advertising? Why is it so hard to find underwriters? I mean, technically, the way I look at it, you're you're like the last of local radio stations. Well,
2: in a lot of respects, we are, and uh, underwriters tend to be mom-and-pop businesses in the community that want some exposure on radio but cannot afford commercial radio, or it's just not logical to go to commercial radio. You can go on a a 50,000-watt FM commercial station and be heard from Harrisburg to Washington, D.C., but are you going to draw business from all those areas so it's it's back to marketing 101 and conquer your own backyard first you're you're not going to draw from Harrisburg Pennsylvania or Washington DC but you're going to pay for the the privilege of reaching those neighborhoods and communities so it's not money well spent Uh, public radio stations in general and ours in particular tend to be lower power stations we cover all of Harford and we get about half of Baltimore County, about half of Cecil, a little bit of Kent and Queen Anne's, a little bit of York and Lancaster. And um, and we appeal to the businesses that want to get their message across and talk about their products and services, but don't have the budget or don't see the logic in going on, a, a, you know, it's a, why buy an aircraft carrier when a rowboat will do the job? Right. And it's also goodwill. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of businesses will underwrite the station simply because they they believe in our mission and they want to support it and they want to be associated with it. So that's that's how they do that. Uh, underwriting is tax deductible, and the FCC requires a, a little different presentation of an underwriter's credit. That's that message that goes on the air and. Uh, they they say that it can't be uh, overly solicitous. It can't have quantity or quality comparisons. It can't have prices. It can't have calls to action, sound no. effects, music. Yeah. So okay. we can't we can't say. Uh, stop by this weekend for their big sale. We can say their big sale is this weekend. But we can't add the call-to-action stop-by. Okay, by.
0: gotcha. We
2: can say their phone number is, but we can't say for more information call, oh, because yeah. call is a call-to-action. Call action. Right. right, okay. We, we can't say that the car lot has the lowest prices and the best selection in town. So we, so it, it um, that, that's what differentiates public broadcasting's underwriting from traditional... Commercials, traditional commercials. You can make all kinds of claims. Uh, some of them are true, <laughs> not all of them. And and you can you can throw in all the effects and and the uh, the, the music and the calls to action that you want. And and uh, a lot of people in this country are are over marketed. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. and, and they're just burned out as far as people trying to sell them something all the time. So we're 're about I, I like to say we're about the arts and not the ads uh, but then at the end of the of the day somebody's got to pay for all right. that so we're not you know we' we're, we're operating at a deficit uh, there are some public radio stations in this area that are not operating at a deficit they're operating at a, a pretty healthy profit uh, we are not one of them unfortunately uh, but uh, we're we're uh, we're hanging on, we're right. hanging in, and the, the college has been supportive uh, as as much as they can be for as long as they have, and uh, we hope that continues for a good long time, and so we, we keep reaching out to the community and the businesses and the individuals, and, and uh, a lot of what we hear is frustrating in that we're, we were just at the Ironbirds game last weekend, and um, you, you wouldn't believe how many people came up to us and said, I never heard of this station. I never knew it was around. And so in the past, uh, we have not done a, a, the best job that we, we could possibly do in marketing ourselves. Right, getting we, out
0: there. We've, yeah. been,
2: we've been trying to change that as much as possible. But, you know, it's tough when you don't have the resources, when you don't have the money to do it, and when you don't have the people. For a long time, it was me and a part-timer. Yeah. And right now we have three full time employees, counting myself, and one part timer. So we operate 24 7, 365 days a year, with four paid employees. Uh, The rest are students or community volunteers.
0: So, and even when you do like your pledge drives, aren't you limited to how you can, I guess, do that, ask for money or whatever?
2: Well, there there are some restrictions, uh, but for the most part, it's it's pretty much left up to the station. Uh, and you just know that human nature, uh, being what it is, if if you pitch for donations uh, for an excessive period of time, the listener is just going to hit the the, well, yeah, the, the gonna... search button, and uh, and that and that's what happens with commercial stations. When they run a six-minute block of commercials, advertisers don't realize it or they don't want to accept the fact yeah. that that nine out of ten listeners will go channel surfing. I know I
0: will. Oh, I know. my wife does it all the time. Mm. Yeah. Know, I know a lot of people that do it.
2: But we, we like to keep our... Uh, we fundraise uh, twice a year, in the spring and the fall. We have a two-week period where we ask for donations, and, uh, and we, we try to do it quickly uh, frequently, but quickly. We try not to, to belabor the point and try to get in and out. Oh, most of our breaks, uh, well, all of our breaks, actually, uh, year-round, tend to be like 90 seconds or less. And our long-term listeners, our long-time listeners, realize that when we go into a break, we're coming right back into, yeah. into program in a, a matter of a minute, minute and a half. Uh, so we, we kind of, our breaks and messages, uh, be they public service announcements which are free or underwriter credits, uh, they, they tend to flow with the program, they meld with the program as opposed to interrupting programming, which right. is what you have on commercial stations. But don't get me wrong, I mean they they, they, they leave, uh, you know, they, they, fill, they fill a void and, and commercial stations are still really important and I worked at a number of commercial stations and sold commercials. But the public in general is, is being marketed to death. Yeah, there, there were actually some cities, some towns in the Midwest that were so strapped for money, they were putting uh, placard advertising on police cars. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sold that in California. Yeah, so so you know, buses and taxi cabs aren't, aren't enough, billboards aren't enough, The the local municipalities have to sell ad space on their police cars. And I, for one, you know, I, I I like to think that I'm worth more to society than how much I spend. Right. You know how much I buy. So. You know, but uh, like I say, the, the the downside of all this is that we operate at a deficit, and yeah. uh, we're we're trying to get to the po- to a break even point. The college has never said to us, "You must be a profit center," uh, but. It, w- it would behoove us to, to, uh, to get to a break-even point so that we could be self-sufficient at the very least.
0: Hey, that equipment and music costs money. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize it. I think a lot of people don't realize, too, uh, you know, like when you talk about the music, if it wasn't for college radio, a lot of bands wouldn't have made it.
2: Absolutely, and uh, we, we just started a new program called Fresh Tracks, uh, just a few months ago where we uh, host local regional artists who may be professional they may have recordings and they may possibly ha- are, are just trying to get in they're they're unsigned artists mm-hmm. and um, that's getting a lot of attention we're uh, we're, we're getting uh, all different genres we've had classical we've had rock we've had jazz people come on and and th- that's another thing about um, about, you know, you talk about the differences between commercial and non-commercial. When you're a commercial station, the only way you can justify charging what you charge for those commercials is to have a large listener base. Right. The only way to have a large listener base is to play the tried and true. You can't go out on a limb. You can't go outside of the lines, musically speaking, too far because you risk alienating longtime listeners and making those numbers smaller and then your advertising department says hey we can't get a hundred dollars for a 30 second spot anymore we have to charge less or we have to change the programming so they you know they stay between the lines Uh, public radio and a station like ours is uh, you know we're kind of like a musical all-you-can-eat smorgasbord. Yes, you know it's, that's what I love about it. <laughs> you know if if you if you like jazz, if you don't like jazz, if you like classical, if you don't like classical, it doesn't it doesn't matter. We're going to throw it out there and expose you to it, and it's just like I when we have uh, little kids come in for tours, Boy Scouts and what have you. We tell them it's just like trying a new food. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're going to like, and you may not like it right now but maybe down the road you will. And we'd, we'd like to be responsible for your first exposure into this genre of music, this art form. And the artists themselves deserve to have a venue, yeah. a, a gallery. So, uh, you know, it's not all... Commercial radio is, is either sports, talk, country, or rock, uh, or hip-hop. And that's about it. You yeah. Know? And uh, you know, it's trying to make society make the foot fit the shoe, so to speak. So we we offer a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> because <laughs> because it's out there, and and why not offer it? Uh, it? It's it's good. It's 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 different, and I I've always liked being different. I guess being le- born left-handed had a lot to do with that. <laughs> I once asked Freddie Cole the jazz pianist net cole's brother i was trying i was taking piano lessons at the college this was about 15 years ago and i was having a wow. heck of a heck of a time trying to learn how to play piano and subsequently oh i mean ultimately i dropped it but i had freddie on a show one time and i said freddie is it uh, is it difficult learning piano being left-handed and without hesitation he said i don't know i've never been left-handed
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> well look at ringo Starr. He was left-handed. One and one of the other drummers talk about a lot of drummers love Ringo mm-hmm. because of his style and the way he played. He was a left, had him set up for right-handed, but he still played left-handed. Mm-hmm. So was it? it's like when he was doing going around, his left arm would come under first, mm-hmm. whereas other ones, yeah, it, it's it's weird, but and you can hear that distinct style. Well, when I, anyway.
2: I I played hockey until I was fifty, very poorly, by the way, I might add. <laughs> And uh, and I always played right-handed, um, but I played just as poorly left-handed when I was a kid. So <laughs> so know. it didn't
0: matter either way. <laughs> yeah, the moot point.
1: You
0: know, so. Bring up one thing you you talked about, you know, uh, people getting their degree in mass communications, but the jobs aren't out there anymore. Mm-hmm. Which and you would think because of what well, satellite radio and all that, there would be more jobs. But that's not the case. What do you think the reason for that is? Is it syndication or? It's
2: technology uh, to to a certain degree. It's also, you have to go back and look at the communications, Telecommunications Act of 96, which uh, prior to that, companies could only own, I believe it was 45 stations max in the country. Now there's, in the
0: country. In the country. Shit, now, now it's like that in a town.
2: Well, now there's <laughs> there's no limit. You can own uh, a couple of thousand. There are only about fourteen or fifteen thousand radio stations. I don't know what the exact wow. number is. They're going off in droves, especially the AM stations. That's sad. But uh, because of the reception and uh, and the competition, but but uh, back in the day, you could you could only have so many stations in a market. Well, now you can have up to eight stations in a single market. So that means consolidation of staff, product, right. facilities. Uh, so there are fewer jobs because of that. Uh, but a lot of it has also been the technology has changed and humans aren't needed quite as quite as much. Yeah. But you have to remember that radio is a relationship business. It it was it was best when it was accept it and and promoted as a relationship business mm-hmm. uh people listen to me in the morning god only knows why but <laughs> but they but they have a relationship with with me and i with them and and it's just a kind of a one-way conversation going on and that's why i, I frequently say it's a, a pleasure and a privilege
0: yeah.
1: to
2: do what we do and we tell our young people when they when they're training Think of it as you are having a conversation with one person who just isn't speaking back to you at the moment. Um, it's a relationship business. That's its strength. to To be to relate, you have to be relevant. To be relevant, you have to be human. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have to have a a uh, a full helping of the human condition. Uh, mood circumstances uh, the news of the day Uh, you you know you you can automate that kind of stuff uh, and and voice track stations like some of the big companies do but that that element that humanity that's the core that's the core and and that you know I just I just finished a book on local radio and television and if you look back at some of the old local shows in TV as well same thing. It was a. It was about a relationship. It's
0: personal. Yeah.
2: I sat down with, uh, with uh, years ago with Larry Lumen, who did a, a kids show on Channel Eleven, called Pete the Pirate, oh, uh, and and then he went on to uh, to public television and became one of the most sought after, uh, commercial announcers in in the country. Uh, Larry was there. Royal Parker. Uh, who started here in Harford County at uh, at 1330, back around 1950 or so, and uh, went on to Channel 13 and then Channel 11 eventually. And we were talking about the various shows and uh, the kids' shows, especially, that they did. And I said, you know, you guys did something with these programs that really filled a void in the baby boomer male that, that i am and that is you know we, we were home with our moms we weren't home with our dads as much right you know they were out doing Dad what they had working. they had to do and here we see these grown men and we knew who you were because you know stu kerr never changed his voice whether he was playing bozo or professor cool
1: mm-hmm. um
2: Royal uh, it was easy to recognize, you know, so so you you didn't fool us But you were dressed up and you were playing characters and you were pretending and in so doing it validated our play You know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 from that male role model perspective that that was that's all part of the relationship and of of media so yeah, there are fewer jobs today, but there, there are still, you know, there a lot of ancillary jobs and careers have come along in, over the years as well. Spokespeople, uh, marketing,
0: voiceover, uh, yeah.
2: promotional people, public affairs people. So, so there are still, that's why I say even if somebody comes to our station and works as a DJ for two years and then decides to take a, a, a different route, uh, that that experience is going to benefit them, you know. If if you go into public relations, you know, the the environment, the atmosphere at a radio station, and maybe instead of shotgunning uh, your your press releases to all the radio and TV stations, you'll do a little homework. You'll target them to the to the ones that are going to get some sort of an effective response, uh, but. A lot of press agents and and public uh, public affairs people will just send these mass emails and mailings out, and uh, if one out of twenty stations acts on it, they consider that a success. I consider wow. it a waste of time. Sure. Yeah. You know, if if I have a country music show that I'm going to that I want to promote, or an appearance at a, a shopping mall by a a, a cowboy, uh, you know who she's <laughs> uh, uh riding out at the Cheyenne rodeo or something I'm not going to send a press release to every station in town the classical music people are going to look at it and say not our demographic right. the country stations they might say hey that that would be of interest to our listeners or our viewers as, as the case may be so so the experience is good yeah the experience with with us and uh, you know and, and it's we have very high standards. Uh we've we've let you on the station a couple of times. So so we have deviated <laughs> from a those low bar, isn't it? <laughs> we've deviated from those high standards on occasion and they and they wow. and they've still got me doing the morning show. But uh, but you know
0: uh yeah, you Talk about your book.
2: This is your seventh book? That you've written? Altogether, seventh book, uh, the sixth one for Arcadia Publishing, they, the uh, sepia-colored covered, colored, uh, covers with the uh, local, right. local and regional photo histories. They're not great works of journalism, uh, but, <laughs> but they, there are uh, a lot of pictures in them, and uh, a lot of people like to, to reminisce. You know, nostalgia has been pretty big in this country since the 70s.
0: So, and this one, Baltimore Television and uh, Baltimore Radio and Television, you have a lot of the old pictures in there from the old stations going back in the day, and it's back to when? You said 1922. 1922,
2: the first one came on in Baltimore and uh, then promptly disappeared in 1924. Uh, But yeah, that was quick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the guy operated it from his bedroom, so.
0: You so. oh, probably got married, so you had to give a the station.
2: But, um, yeah, I, I tried to... It, it's kind of a... It's not the highlights of local broadcasting. I I prefer to call it more like a Whitman sampler because you can't put the highlights in... Uh, you know, Arcadia uses a template, and all of their books are have the same look and the same size. Uh, so you can't put uh, highlights into 127 pages. Right. But you can, you can put a, a pretty fair sampling, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to mix it up with radio and television, and I kept it local, you know, for uh, for Baltimore viewers and Baltimore listeners. And uh, Stu Kerr is on the cover, and uh, he was kind of the, the crown prince of... Uh, of kids shows, and I
0: always loved him as professor cool. he
2: did he did everything at Channel Two. He was a booth announcer. He was a weatherman. Uh, he did dialing for dollars. He uh, was the early riser, Bozo the Clown. He was the local Willard Scott. exactly. <laughs> exactly. and and Stu was even national. He had a recurring role on Captain Kangaroo. Uh, he and Bob Keeshan uh, were NBC, I believe they were NBC pages. In the 1940s, I and, and knew one another from that time. Well, Stu was originally from, I believe, Yonkers, New York, or somewhere okay. somewhere in the New York City area. But yeah, so so Stu's in in the book, and uh, a lot of the radio people, past and present, well, not present. Uh, well, yeah, actually, uh, Laurie DeYoung is in is in the book, so she's she's one of the one of the few that's. Is she still, still there? She's still there. She's, what, what, she's still, still got to be there? pushing 45, 50 years, pretty uh, close. Laurie's probably been at POC, WPOC, for about 30.
1: Really? Um, yeah. I thought
2: it was longer than that. Cause it, I, yeah. it could be. It could be. Yeah. But, but yeah, Laurie's, Laurie's still active and still in the market, so she's yeah. in the book.
1: Yeah. Who's the, oh,
0: Sarah Flesher retired, right? Sarah Fleischer's gone,
2: yeah. Okay. She's but, sure. but there are people like the Flying Dutchman and Johnny oh, Walker and Lee Case and Joe Knight and... Johnny Walker. And Johnny Dark, and Jim McKay, who was the first face and voice on Baltimore television. He'd been a Sun Papers writer, and the Sun Papers decided they were going to start a television station in 1947. And they had no studio, and they had nobody with any kind of television experience, even though television had been pretty primitive in the 1930s. It had been around to some extent for a while.
0: I didn't realize the Sun Paper had started
2: that. Sun Paper started uh, and, and they and the the uh, Baltimore American wanted to to do a TV station too, and the Sun knew this, so they they beat them to the punch by a few months. Wow! And uh, yeah, that's the the Sun put Channel Two on in nineteen forty-seven, October of that year.
0: I take yeah. it that's before they were owned by the Chicago company. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes,
2: and they they grabbed Jim McManus uh, out of the uh, out of the uh, newsroom. And said, "You're now a television person." And, wow! And on the first day, he—they didn't have studios; they had uh, a remote unit, and they came on the air for a while, and they did some uh, some uh, horse races from Pimlico, and then they went off the air because there were probably only about 15 bars in Baltimore that had TV sets back then, probably. <laughs> And uh, a couple of hours later, Jim McManus shows up at the old Coliseum on Monroe Street to call the action in a wrestling match. that Channel, Channel 2 televised. And then they went off the air again. Uh, yeah. And then, and then when Jim <laughs> McManus got uh, tapped by CBS to host a variety show, they, they changed his name to Jim McKay wow Uh, but uh but jim's daughter uh was was uh she was very kind and sent me a very nice photo of of jim mckay so he you know, a lot of people came through Baltimore. They either yeah. they either started in Baltimore or they came through Baltimore. That uh, Oprah person—I don't I wonder whatever happened to her. <laughs> uh, never, never—you never hear about her anymore. Oprah yeah. something or other. I was
0: going to say you hear more about Richard Sheridan than her, don't
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard's retired now, but, but, Did but he? oh yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. but people like Gene Rayburn came through Baltimore. What?
0: Yeah,
1: Gene, I didn't Gene know that.
2: Rayburn worked for W.I.T.H. Uh, in the '40s. And uh, Spencer Christian, who uh, was doing Good Morning America, the weathercast there, and all just.
0: I didn't realize all these people came through here. Yeah, a
2: whole bunch of people. And of course, Gary Moore and Arthur Godfrey. uh, Gary Moore started at uh, WFBR, and uh, they weren't paying him. And about two weeks later, WBAL went to him and said, hey, how would you like to do the same thing for us? We'll actually give you money. <laughs> so sure. Thomas Garrison Morphet mm-hmm. jumped from, uh, from WFBR to WBAL, and then he went to national fame, and uh, his name was changed to Gary Moore, by actually by a, in an, an audience competition, contest, um, in the 1940s. Might have been in the 30s, but John Miller, uh, Bob McAllister, uh, Nick Charles—all um, people that either started here or, or came through or passed through at some point. Wow! El Saunders, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe
0: a C. Jack. Pat Cjag didn't start here,
2: did he? Pat Cjag didn't start here, but he lives in the area That's and what he, I thought. he okay. still owns—I uh, think two stations in the area. The, oh, he does the Westminster station and. Uh, WTTR I think that's still Pat station and he still owns WNAV in Annapolis but I believe he lives oh, okay. in, he lives in the Severna park area Right but uh, yeah he, he 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 has a tough job he works 6 weeks out of the year <laughs> They do they do a, they do a week's worth of taping a day for 6 days for 6 weeks and then Pat comes home what a life! <laughs> nice job, nice job. I'm I'm waiting for that that job myself. I'm going to stay in the business long enough, right, until I get that job. And um, I I think um, something will freeze over before that <laughs> happens.
0: But now, where were you able to get all these images for from in your book?
2: Some of them were mine. Uh, some of them I actually took because I've been I've been kicking around in local radio since nineteen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, but did you have that station in the bedroom? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, but I came along in 1972 as a 17-year-old when WBJC was a student station then. And and then I got out of the business after two years, foolishly, because I tell people uh, for the, the 12 years that I did nothing in radio, it was like having an itch in the middle of my back. Mm-hmm. And you go this way, and you go that way, and you go that way, and you can't. You can't do anything about it. It's mm-hmm. always there. And, uh, you know, I was, I got into the, you know, the, the, the husband, father, have to pay the bills uh, treadmill, got on that treadmill and walked away from what I wanted to do from the time I was about four or five years old. My dad took me to WCBM for some reason when I was about four years old. And uh, all I kept saying was, can we go home now? But... <laughs> <laughs> but I I was always especially well both of them really television and radio but but uh always knew that I wanted to be in in radio yeah Uh, but uh yeah so I've been you know then I was out of it for like 12 years and then I came back part-time and spent like a year at WAMD up in Aberdeen and then went to WFBR and went across the hall to WLIF and uh, and then was out of it again for a while and then filled in for a couple of air shifts at XCY doing country and so a lot of the pictures in there you know Then went went to WJHU which is now WYPR and then I wound up here where I am now but a lot of the pictures are actually mine that, okay. that I took it at, at events and at different stations a lot of them belong to friends in the business a great deal of them came from the uh, from the museum in Bowie, the, uh, the National Capital Museum of Radio and Television. More Washington stuff down there right. than Baltimore, but, it, but there's a fair representation of Baltimore stuff in their files. And they were, they were gracious enough to let me root through their files uh, last summer. I, I spent many hours there with my laptop and scanner, and uh, going going through the eph- ephemera, the the photos, the schedules, uh, even found some things that we had. <laughs> we when I was at W I T H, we were bought by a, another company, and uh, basically went out of business. And we had some great old pictures on the walls at W I T H, and. Uh, Nobody ever knew what happened to them, and I found them in the files Really? down, down at the museum. Yeah, still yeah. in the frames and everything. Wow. So, then so, yeah. uh, some of them are in are in the book, uh, but I would love to get to
0: that. Yeah, I bet. Do they have like the old microphones? Oh, they've the got a
2: ton of stuff. They've they've got original NBC chimes. They've got old radio sets. Oh, wow. Uh, but the the problem with the place is that it's in an old farmhouse in Bowie with very limited parking and very limited space and they have more stuff in storage than they actually have on display so that's unfortunate they got they got a lot of the golden radio buffs uh collection too when the golden oh. radio buffs of maryland went extinct uh about 10 or 12 years ago they sent all their stuff down to to the wow. Bu- the buoy museum so so that that was a fun group i went to some of their meetings back in back in the day and uh but yeah, this is you know I'm, I'm I'm doing what I love for another year, and uh, and then I'm I'm gonna ride off into the the sunset, and some of the kids who we've been training and nurturing, it'll be their turn to put their, their time for
0: them to step up and do it.
2: Time for them to, to step up and and leave leave their mark. And Twelve more years, you'll be back again. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I won't no been there, done that, got the t shirt You can come in my home and not know what I did for a I do for a living I, you know I, I i I love what I do, but at the same time, there's more to life yeah and and I don't want to, I never want it to be defined strictly by what I did for a for a living to me that's as that's as um, uh, as as uh, incomprehensible as advertising on police cars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this, because, I mean, I know why, but a lot of people listening don't know why. And I don't know if it's still done today. But when you were talking about Jim McKay and all that, all these guys changed their names or were given new names Mm -hmm. for radio or television. Mm -hmm. Why was that, and do they still do that today?
2: Oh, sure. Al Sanders was Albert Gay. Uh, Jerry Turner was Jerry J. Joyner. Um, of course, uh, Tom uh, James Tom. I think Johnny Walker's real name was James Thomas Embry. I know it was Embry. I'm, I'm yeah, not I sure. knew
0: that. I, that couldn't have been his real name.
2: Yeah, Pete Pete Berry was the Flying Dutchman. I don't know why they do it. I don't know. I you know I I toyed with the idea of calling myself less more. You know, so I could promote <laughs> myself as get less in the morning or get more in the morning, whichever you prefer. <laughs>
3: That's pretty clever. But when
2: I but when I went to WFBR, the engineer was in the booth one day. I was in sitting in there with Jack Edwards, John Herbert. (laughs) Uh, I was in there with Jack Edwards, um, and uh, he said, "What name are you going to use on the air?" And I said, "My own." He said, "You got guts." Um, But Jack is still on the air. You know, he's still around. There's a picture of Jack in the book. Uh, Johnny Dark was John Bennett. Uh, Over the years, there have been lots of Johnny Darks around the country. Um, I don't know why. I I guess, you know, I I did know one guy who um, years ago, when I was still in high school, uh, the the old Veterans Hospital on Lock Raven Boulevard had a closed-circuit station. And uh, a guy named Vince Clues, who was big in the local radio uh, industry, was operating it. And people went there to and volunteered to get experience. And one of the guys uh, went by Bob Lawrence on WYRE, but his real name was Bill Staudenmeyer. So you can see how Bob Lawrence would roll off your yeah. your, your tongue better than Bill mm-hmm. Staudenmeyer. Uh, but uh, I don't think I have a particularly great name for radio and a lot of people ask me, Are you related to Art Helton? And it's a No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And now sometimes I'll go up to businesses before they even ask and say, No, I'm not related to art. You know, all yeah. my all my relatives are dead. They killed themselves when they found out I was family. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but no, seriously i mean, I never
0: got it. I mean I knew when I was when I started WQSR with John Bertullis, if that was his real name uh, Doing the all-request show, they, I used my regular name. Mm-hmm. But when I came up here to ASA, it was what, ASA and HDG at the
2: Yeah, time. we used to say, we always sound awful. That's what W-A-S-A stood for. <laughs> That's where Royal Parker started, okay. W-A-S-A.
0: They told me, they said it would, uh, at the time, the AM side was country. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, who's your favorite country artist? Johnny Cash. Okay, well, you, It's you a good were,
2: thing you didn't say Patty Loveless or something.
0: <laughs> God. <laughs> But I, that was my name on the air, Rich Cash. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but I guess I could. Uh, I don't know. It's well, just
2: weird. I like to come up with with names, you know, for the for the MTA guy in the morning. Oh
0: there. yes, I know you do.
2: <laughs> Adam Bomb. Um, yesterday I called him Owen. You Cash. Um, Oliver Money.
0: Um, must must come from the love of the Three Stooges, huh? Sweet me. <laughs> now. With radio too, I mean, because you've been at HFC for how long now? Twenty years?
2: January or fifteen? Years? January will be twenty years uh, unless they they find me out before then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just from your time in radio, I mean, explain to everyone that because I, I just saw, I mean, a drastic change, not just in the equipment but the size of the studios, mm-hmm. which cracks me up because some of this, some stations you go in less equipment, bigger studios,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I never understood.
2: <laughs> well, the studios were probably built first when they needed space, but the technology has had everything to do with that. You can run a radio station, as you know, from a laptop. Yeah. Um, <clears> back in a the, friend
0: of mine that does, well,
2: Yeah, Back in the day, when, when radio didn't have the, the capability to pre-record, they had to have multiple studios for, for you know, the various programs that some of the studios accommodated audiences Mm -hmm. so some of them were quite large Uh, i have in the book the uh, actually the the architects layout of wfbr on uh, north avenue and and love grove street when they were planning that and and it's amazing all the different studios that were in there but you had orchestras you had singers you had actors who were uh you know like like the lone ranger and the green hornet they started as local shows on WXYZ in Detroit before they went to, to the network. So all that production took place in, in facilities. So you needed a building uh, with some significant size to it in order to accommodate all the things you wanted to do. Right. Now in the very beginning when the stations shared a single frequency in the early 20s, you know when 22 when WKC was the first station and then Wear came on next, uh, which became WFBR. A couple of years later, they were only on so many hours of the day because they would share a single frequency. But but as radio expanded and and got to be got to do more, uh, they 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 simply needed more space. But now you can, you can store stuff and all that space. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a it, it it's been a it's been a metamorphosis. That's that's for sure and. Uh, Radio has has a lot of a lot of people si- since television hit it big in in the late '40s and early '50s, people have been writing radio's obituary and radio will always be around and and it's just going to keep reinventing itself. It's yeah. going to keep morphing, you know. Uh, when when television became big, radio got away from the. Uh, the situation comedies and the cowboy shows and the dramas—I mean, they—they they continued on to 1960 or 61 or so, but for the most part, radio became more music and information, uh, and and the entertainers and the entertainment went to, to television—that old type of entertainment anyway—and then Top 40 came along, and then sports, and then talk. So, so radio is a, is an ever-changing canvas. I don't mm-hmm. think that I don't think the canvas will ever be finished, um, not in my lifetime anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: It's interesting, I, I think it's a, 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 there's a lot of cyclical stuff in the business and you're starting to see a, a return to some degree in some markets to personality radio, you know, which which drove, uh, I mean WCAO used to get ratings in the 40s back around 1960, So I think that's 60, something
0: 60, that's well. missing. You're yeah, and that's,
2: and that's what we were talking about before, yeah. that relationship business, that relatability, the human component, the human factor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: For for radio to... It, it's cyclical, so there may be a generation or two that didn't experience it, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to try it, they're going to reach back and say, this is the way w- they used to do it, and it's going to catch on again. Um, I, I, I totally believe that.
3: Yeah. How do you see the um, the... <clears throat> excuse
2: me, the... Podcasts mixing in with mm-hmm. radio. Um, well, the podcasts are, are that—that's a—that's a tricky thing. We've been wanting to do podcasts, but because of music <laughs> licensing, mm-hmm. uh, we can't. Uh, and, and the cost is to, is too much. And um, you, you know, mean
0: on the radio station, right? Okay. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. If, if we, if no, no, if we podcast some of our programs on our website that contain music the the licensing people yeah. would shut it down yeah sure they, they'd say you know you either pay us a lot more money than you're paying us and and we pay about three thousand dollars a year just for music royalties uh, so we really we, we have a uh, a sports show which is in its infancy it's actually an old show that we're resu- we've resurrected the show idea is an old one uh, and we recently resurrected the program but it's having a little trouble gaining its footing now, ultimately, that would be our first podcast, right? Uh, because it, it's going to be strictly, obviously, what it is, and that's that's discussion, conversation. But uh, yeah, uh, podcasting apps, uh, Wi-Fi—it's—it's it's really amazing. I had one of our one of our hosts call me one morning. I was doing the morning show, and he said, "I'm listening to you on my uh, on my phone in my car. I'm driving through Winston Salem, North Carolina." So, the world is, is becoming, you know, your oyster now, and some stations, like one of the ones we were talking about before we got started here, that spent a lot of money for translators and mm. things like that, or to increase their power, they uh, it's going to wind up being a, a, a bad move on their part, because the technology, the wireless, is is going to put you all over the country, and the terrestrial signal is not going to be as important. There'll still be a need for it, but I mean we're 1,100 watts. Yeah. Uh, for for us to well, we we couldn't get any bigger because tr- uh, the terrestrial signals, uh, the bandwidth, is just not there. The the uh, the band rather the frequency uh, because it, it's too crowded. So we can't increase the 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 power of our terrestrial signal, but. It's okay because technology is taking us to places it never took us before True. without yes. that terrestrial signal. We'll have to generate the signal from the studio, but that signal maybe in 50 years might be 10 watts.
0: Okay. And I know for a fact because, you know, when I listen to Joyce and Greg, you guys have listeners throughout the country.
2: I've gotten donation checks from as far away yeah. as, uh, as New Zealand.
0: Well, I was going to say, yeah, I know my cousin over in England. Listens, uh, you know, through online or through the tune-in app.
2: Hmm. No, no accounting for taste,
0: huh? <laughs> I didn't say he listened to you. Oh, okay. Well, that's different. That's that's different. That's totally. <laughs> but different. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it, if a lot of radio stations don't take mm-hmm. advantage of the internet, mm-hmm. we are hurting. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things you're starting to see with TV too.
2: Yeah, but one of the problems with taking advantage of the internet is that there is, is so much regulation. Well, yeah. We have we have to pay to stream. You have you have to uh, you know keep track of everything you play. Uh,
0: uh, music wise, yeah, yeah,
2: music wise. Uh, we don't. We pay. We pay a waiver <coughs> that that was set up for non-commercial right. educational stations like ours. We pay a five hundred dollar a year waiver for that. But the but the stations that, that stream music on the internet must pay a, a, a an organization called Soundbeat mm-hmm. uh, a, a very very large payment it's and they sure. have they have to aggregate listening hours they have to calculate all this mm-hmm. it's very labor intensive so the mom and pop stations out in South Bumfork, they don't have the they don't have the resources no. financial or human. To do it, so they 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 pass up the opportunity for the time being, but regulation is uh, is a thorn in, in the side, and, and at least in that respect,
0: that's one. Because one of the things I looked into doing, I wanted to start a internet radio station, mm-hmm. but it was it was just costly. You know, the music rights and everything, having to pay for the music, and one of the things that stations started doing this. The
2: the stations can do is they can they can do all public domain stuff, which is for the most part classical. Yeah. Or they can do things that are public domain, like we do on Saturday morning, the Golden Age of Radio. Yes. And we (laughs) we play the old time radio shows from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and maybe early 60s. Uh, Gunsmoke and Have Gun Will Travel. I think uh, we're around till 61. So was Amos and Andy, believe it or not. Uh, and and these have all fallen into public domain. Not yeah. all of them. Not all of them. Some of them are still copyright protected. The CBS mm-hmm. Radio Mystery Theater that, that was in the 70s and 80s, that's copyright protected. We can't play those programs on, a, on our show uh, on Saturday. But that's what a lot of creative stations have to turn to. And, um, you know, it... it, it it is what it is. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't believe in de- in total deregulation. Uh, there's a lot of garbage on the radio, and it's and it's on there now because of deregulation. Mm-hmm. But it's a double-edged sword. Regulation has has handicapped and handcuffed primarily the small stations and the small station owners, and. Uh, we were talking about a small station and a small uh, someone who's running one in this area a little while ago, and um, I don't know how you you can make it work with that kind of regulation, with yeah. those sorts of of, uh, of uh, restraints on you. Um, so you know, it's 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 interesting. I I I like where I am. I like it a lot. Um, I think we have a good product. You do. Um, I I just wish our listeners could support us a little more. Right now we have based on the ratings information that we get, we get a limited amount of ratings information because we can't afford any anymore. <laughs> uh, it's approximately 1% of our listening audience will actually make a donation during pledge drive. Nationally... What's the what's target typically? Well, nationally uh, it the six percent has been bandied about quite a lot for a lot of years but nobody's really sure some people have said four percent six percent some stations are saying they're getting twelve percent of their listening audience donating and um, obviously higher than one percent is is the target if if we could double or triple that uh, I don't I don't think that would put us in the self-sustaining column Quite yet, but it would it would be a big step in the right direction. So we need listeners to. Uh, we have campaign twenty twenty <coughs> coming up for the fall pledge drive, and if listeners would donate twenty dollars and twenty cents, you know that uh, we'll send we'll send them a sticker for their their car, and uh, we're gonna have uh, uh, eco grocery totes with our logo, and we're gonna have all kinds of nice thank you gifts. A lot of listeners don't want the thank you gifts. And that's fine. Uh, we we prefer they take them, especially when our logo is there. <laughs> no, we prefer we pr- we prefer they take them because it, it, it's 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 branding. It's, mar- it's marketing there, yeah. us. I, uh, you I didn't know. Think about that. I I, I like to. Uh, I, I was at the grocery store one day, and a car went by with one of our stickers in the in the the back window, and I gave a little tap on the on the trunk when he went
3: by. The guy probably was, what's, he, what's he doing?
1: But,
2: how does the,
3: how does the, the college contribute um, with respect to funding? Is, is it, it, it more or less the fixed factor every year, or is it based upon the response to public donations, um, or
2: is it just typically a, a straightforward budget line? That It's, it's pretty, pretty much a straightforward budget item. Uh, we, we're paying for one of our full-time positions. The college funds, the two other ones, and the part-time position and we get from them an addition, (laughs) uh, some additional uh, budget, but when it comes down to the actual operation of the station, buying the programs, buying the music, maintaining the equipment, paying for royalties, paper clips, postage, telephone charges, uh, sound exchange for the streaming, the college has been giving us a set amount of uh, the neighborhood of of $12,000 a year. For the last 20 years. That hasn't really changed much. When you take that $12,000 a year of public money and divide it by the 280000 50000 or so in Harford County, that it works out to about a nickel per person of, of public money is going to, to pay the operation of the station.
3: Okay yeah
2: so that's that is kind of low. Yeah. It, it, we're, we're very good at dumpster diving you yeah, know, well, <laughs> you'd almost have to be. Yeah. but but for, fortunately, our, our salary, uh, the salary for the two full timers and uh, the one part timer, do not come from from uh, listeners. It comes from right. from the college. The uh, the third full timer, uh, it does come from underwriting and from from listener support. So that's that's part of our overhead now.
1: Uh,
2: so uh, that just changed this year. But we we saw the need, and and it took about three years to convince the powers that be to let us try, uh, even if we have to fund it ourselves. Uh, let us try to uh, to have a, uh, a a higher profile in the community. So we we went out and got a community relations specialist who is doing just that. He right. had us at the ball game last week, and we'll be at another ball game, two two more ball games before this season is up, and. You know, as as events take place in the county, we we want to we want we, we we want. I live for the day that I hand out one of these program schedules and somebody says, "Oh, oh, I listen to that station," rather than "Oh, I've never heard of that station." I live for that day. I hope it will happen. Yeah. You know, before I leave, but uh, but that's that's a big um, that's the eight hundred pound gorilla. You know that that we're trying to tame. Right. And, um, like I say, it took a good three years before the college let us create this community. Uh, because, you know, they've, they've got to be fiscally responsible. And, and they have to put things in the budget that directly impact students. And this is a, this is an indirect impact on students. Yeah. So it took some convincing, but... Uh, uh, that so that's where we are so now we have to we have to to try to raise a little more money so that we can continue to fund that position mm-hmm. in so addition public, to public support is, is paramount absolutely yeah. absolutely and one percent of our listening audience if we had a larger listening audience it might be might be uh, appropriate it might be sufficient but but you know we're, we've got about somewhere between five and ten thousand listeners a week so we we either need a larger listening audience or we need a a a little more generosity from the existing one. Uh, this question is probably, I, I'll, I'll, admittedly, I don't know that much about radio, it's
3: never been an interest of mine, but in uh, just thinking, I, because I, I knew this as a as a kid growing up, because I watched my father um, watch instruction on TV, um, uh, through, I, I, I believe it was through University of Baltimore, could be mistaken, but um, has there ever been or, er, or thought given to uh, lecture series on, on the school radio? In other words, uh, classes that are
2: offered through the college. Um, it's, been, it's been thought of, it's been considered, it's been kicked around. Uh, the the word resources comes back just sure. about all the time. And instructors uh, are are pretty well overwhelmed with workload right now and if we put something in addition on their table or suggest something like that uh, they they may not react too too positively to it. I can't say for sure but I mean it, we, we did that at, at when I when I was a student at WBJC they had a music appreciation course and that was the only one that I know of that, that they tried that on yeah. um, every morning at. At nine o'clock, you'd hear the strains of Mozart, and some guy with a German accent said, "Welcome to the music appreciation, Varovan," <laughs> <laughs> and whether anyone listened to it or participated, you know, and got the credit for it, I, I couldn't
0: say. But you know what? Would so, you just mention there, the college could be missing out there because they're right there. Those are your podcasts. To put not necessarily on the station itself, but on the website. Well, we have because they don't go away.
2: We, yeah, we and we have in in the uh, another iron in the fire. Uh, we're calling it "What's Up at the Nest," and uh, and that's going to be a, a public affairs program that uh, will we'll change every week and we'll talk about uh, what's happening at the college academically, right. socially, uh, what's happening with personnel. Uh, to Obviously, take advantage of you know, like I said, what one of one of part of our mission is to promote the college, its academic and cultural offerings. Yeah, but, but again, the, the the public affairs shows have been slow to uh, come to fruition simply because there are only so many things that that you can you can get done in the course of a day, and uh, you know just right. just not enough people to do all the things that we'd like to do.
0: And the college news, because who we have on here, Elizabeth, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mosser, I think it was.
2: Beth Mosser, yeah. Yeah,
0: from the college. And we I mean, you yeah, know, we told her, say, look, any time you guys, the college wants to come on,
1: mm-hmm.
0: let us know. Mm-hmm. You know, because, well, you know me, I, I'm like you, I'm big on, you know, promoting anything in the county. Yep. And yep. actually, she did. She brought some, uh, two young people on for achieving the dream, mm-hmm. which floored me. I mean, it's, I love learning stuff, you yep. know, so... Yep.
2: Yeah, I believe in lifetime learning, and um, you know we're all works in progress, and and the you know the the, the additions, the changes, the improvements. Sometimes they they come slower than we'd like to see. Sometimes it seems like they're like this book, for example. This this was on the back burner for almost twenty years. I actually started compiling. I mean, you talking
0: to me about a while ago. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I started compiling things for this book back in two thousand, and. Um, and, and initially it started as, as a web page and then I lost the web domain let let the domain the name expired, lapse yeah. somebody gobbled it up and I thought well that's the end of that project and and then it didn't come up again for another fifteen years so so sometimes it just takes uh, you know you, you you don't you don't plant uh, uh, tulips in, in the the heat of the summer. <laughs> You know, uh, you, you, you have to, everything's got to be right. The season, the timing, and uh, the circumstances. They all, yeah. all the stars
0: have to align. Real quick, because you talked about going to the Ironbirds game mm-hmm. at the station. Are you guys, and I know you weren't doing a, a live remote from there. No. Do you have the ability to do that?
2: Yeah, we'll be, we'll actually be at a couple of the first Fridays at, uh, okay in uh, Habity Grace. Uh, and... Um, they're coming up in August and September and October, I believe. So we'll, we'll be doing some live broadcasts from there, some okay. cut-ins, and and so on. Um, and we did we did uh, some of that last summer as well. Um, so yeah, we we have the capability. Again, it's one of those deals where the technology changes so doggone fast. Yeah. And, and if, if you're going to p- spend several thousand dollars for equipment and then it's outmoded in 18 months, you know you have to wonder, do the ends justify the means, right?
0: Well, the good thing is, like you said, you know, we talked about earlier, nowadays, if you have the laptop and basically a mm-hmm. sound system, the only key is you would need Wi-Fi. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> then you're set. You're mm-hmm. good to go. You know, but other than that, it's like, ugh. Because I, I mean, I'm thinking about what we do up here at the park. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, we have, we have no Wi-Fi,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it'd be hard for you guys to broadcast live.
2: Uh, yeah, we could do. We could conceivably still uh, connect with um, with cell phones. I don't. I don't. If know. you can get a signal. If we can get a yeah. signal. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <We> because <laughs> we did that the first time we were in Happy Grace. We, right. we were relying strictly on on uh, cell and uh, and a landline. Actually, at one time.
0: A landline? What's that? <laughs> yeah.
2: That's what. That's what nobody gots <laughs> anymore. That's good. That's the next book, right? The
0: history of the the telephone
2: throughout the years. I saw a really funny picture of uh, of an elderly couple holding a, an old fashioned phone <laughs> receiver up
0: and posing for a selfie. You know? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, Gary, thanks a lot, and um, everybody, please tune in ninety one point one FM WHFC. You have Gary doing jazz in the morning. You even have that one guy that comes on the podcast once in a while. What's his name? Sheldon something. Sheldon something. Yeah. Yes. yes. The Bear Necessities. He's, on, he's still on Wednesdays, right? Yeah. I call
2: him Shelly. I, I always <laughs> ask him, may I call you Shelly? And he says, no. And I say, okay, Shelly.
0: You have Terry Troyer doing jazz. You have Crossroot. And that's one of the things I love because you can. I can go from hearing Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. To, I don't know if you played any Jeff Goldblum yet. Nope. Oh, you gotta get you gotta get his album. I may have told Terry that. To Liz Cooper, who Liz Cooper and Stampede is local from here. Mm-hmm. To Mozart. To ZZ Top. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. You know we've got music for every mood, every
2: day of the week, every <laughs>
0: and some great shows too.
2: Yeah, we go out into the marketplace, and this is another thing that increases our uh, our operating costs, and we go out and buy some shows and some features, but, hmm.
1: uh,
2: you know, and, and they're the first things that you have to hack wh- when the budget gets tight, yeah. but we carry things like Stardate and Wood Songs and um, uh, the L.A. Theater Works. Let's we'll see uh, if you still have it. Bluegrass breakdown. We, you know, we've got a a really uh, diverse lineup there, and a lot of it is still about 80% of it, though, is generated from from our studios. Yeah. So we're only we're only filling like 15 to 20% of our air with with. Programming that originates elsewhere, syndicated stuff.
0: One show you would love that they have on there, I think it's on Mondays,
2: Value This? Value This, Mondays at Noon, Brian and Leon. It's like a radio antiques roadshow. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and it's... A and it, it, little little combination of, of antiques road Show and car talk.
0: Yeah. Because I have people call in and everything, and some of the stuff they... I've listened to it a couple times. I've been on there, actually. Oh, uh, have times. you? Yeah. And they were talking, about, it's like, man, where's Lyle? God, yeah, I think Lyle's got this. Because <laughs> you
2: mentioned the Three Stooges a little while ago, and I actually have a handwritten, signed and framed letter from Mo. Um, I always wanted to write, and when I was in college, I saw him on a, on a television show, so I wrote to him. And I said, would you be interested in having this 20-year-old kid here do a a book or a series of articles about the three stooges and he was very kind and wrote back sent me an autograph picture and the and the letter is completely handwritten and um and they appraised it for me and told me how much it's worth and now i don't take it out of the house (laughs) but uh yeah i wouldn't either yeah but that was one of the things i went on and discussed that with them one time i also Mm -hmm. had something called a calamite which is a fossilized tree that's about 300 million years old that I I found near my grandfather's house in eastern Kentucky in the 60s. They were unearthing and moving a cemetery for a roadway. And here's this piece of fossilized tree called a calamite, and I thought did they leave a bone behind because you know (laughs) it's about about the size of this microphone here about half the the size of this microphone about a a little bigger in diameter and it looked like a human bone and and I had it researched and it's called a calamite and it's a fossilized tree and it's 300 million years old which is even older than Rich so yeah yeah not much (laughs) but a a little a little bit older than Rich Bennett.
0: I don't know what it is. Yeah, Now it's you and Sheldon. You guys always got to get your cracks in on me. Well, you know, yeah. that's what you get for ignoring us all these years. Oh. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> on on that you, note, anything target. to add? <laughs> uh, yes. By Before the, I by the, out of here?
2: <laughs> Buy the book, too. Uh, it's uh, available at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon.com. And and uh, there are, two hundred, I believe, 214 photos in here uh, from the 1920s to the 1990s of local radio and television shows and stations and people and uh i think it'll bring back some memories
0: yeah and i'll put i'll make sure we have a link on it in the show notes as well appreciate Um, that that way you can make sure everybody gets out there and buy it i'll probably go home and buy it once we're done here i need the money all right (laughs) then i'll make sure i go home and buy it once i get done here i work in radio (laughs) You know that, how, mu- how well You're like pays. me. That's because you have a, you don't have a, that's the only face you have, you know, what is it? You have a face for radio,
1: not yeah, TV.
2: I've got a cardboard sign. I'm going to stand at Joppa Farm in Route 40 and say we'll announce for food. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> God. Man. Once again, thanks, Gary. Uh, if Thank you would you. like to be on the Harford County Living Show, it is free to come on. Uh, just contact us at podcast at com, or call 443- nine eight two zero two five zero And again, look in the bottom of the show notes and you will see the link there. And I encourage everybody go out by the not just this book from Gary, but any book he's done. And listen. And again, listen to WHFC 91 FM. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harford County Living. You can actually go to harfordcandyliving.com and click on podcast and from there. Click on the episode, and there are links to our guests and our sponsors, and I encourage you to please, please visit them. Again, that's harfordcountyliving.com, and click on podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast from there as well. You'll also see a banner there that says, Buy Me a Coffee. And if you click on that, you can make a contribution to the Harford County Living Show, so we can keep this going. You can do either monthly, or you can do a one-time fee. And what we're going to do at the end of each episode is mention all of those that have contributed so far. And so far, the ones that have made a contribution through Buy Me a Coffee are Natalie Forrest, Cindy Skilton, Kathy, Rhonda Erb, and Rhonda is actually listening up in Canada, Carol Garrity, Lyle Garrity, and of course you've heard Lyle on the show several times, myself, and Robin Burke. So I want to thank all of you for making a contribution to the harford county living show and again all you got to do is click on the buy me a coffee logo and you can help contribute as well